before I get to my sermon, I just, uh, who's ever had those moments of angst, of angst, there, there's holy discontent, right, where you just, you just looked at the world, you looked at the church, you looked at your self, and you were just discontent, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't self-debasing, it wasn't about, you know, beating other people up, or, or, or tearing other things down, it was just you knew that God was stirring something in you. He was causing you to look at the world through his eyes, seeing things through a broken heart because of a broken world. Who's ever been there? Who's ever been there? I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. In this season of my life, I've been looking at two things. I've been looking at my life and I've been looking at the life of the church. And I'm discontent. I'm discontent. There's got to be more. The songwriter, he wrote, he said, there must be more than this. There, there must be more than this. As we read the scriptures, as we read about the New Testament church, we can't but just look at the stories and look at the works of Jesus and the works of the apostles and, and the works of his disciples and the works of the church. And we contrast it with today and we say, Lord Jesus, there must be more. Are you with me, church? Do you feel it? Do you feel a stirring of the Spirit saying, no, I have more for this season of the church in Canada, in BC, in Powell River? I have more than just this. And then I look to myself. And then I look to myself and I, I ask the question, Lucas, are you willing to be hungry for the presence of your God? I was away at pastor's camp and Andy Moore was our speaker during our evening session. And he spoke on, I'm, I'm told, I might even give my sermon today, I'm just going to give it to you. Um, he spoke on, he, he, what he did is he took, he took a, a story of Jesus healing at, at the pool of si Siloam. And what was interesting is he talked about the healing part and then he went back in time to the part about the presence. So he started with the power, which is what we love to do. We're Pentecostals, right? So we're all about the power of God, the charisma, the gifts, the, the outflow, the anointing, all of these things. And he says, this is how we typically preach. We start with the power, and then we kind of throw in the presence of God as an afterthought. What if, what if we look through Scripture, what if as we look through Scripture, we are convinced that the power, the charisma, the gifts, the things that we long to see are coming out of the intimate, quiet places of our soul in communion with a living God who loves us. What if we're doing this all wrong? What if God is calling us back to a place of surrender in his presence to simply hear his voice speak over us? What if there's more than this?
Are we hungry to pursue it? Not the power, because we start with the power. Too often we start with the power. Are we hungry to pursue intimacy with Jesus? To in the quiet places of our soul be changed by him. In the quiet places of our soul, experiencing the moving of the Holy Spirit fire. Refining us, changing us, convincing us that there's a better way to live our lives. There's a better way to look at our families, to look at the people around us. There's a better way to operate. There are better patterns than the ones we've been defaulting to. What would that look like? This season of my life, I'm discontent. I'm discontent. There must be more than this. And I invite you into that discontentment, friends. I invite you into that discontentment. Because a holy discontentment will stir your hearts towards something different. Maybe you're here and, and you don't know Jesus and you're exploring faith and you're, you're wondering what in the world are we talking about right now. I invite you. I invite you into looking inwardly and asking yourself, are you content? Or is there something more to be pursued? I believe that something is Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm, hold on, yeah, we'll get there. This is going to be an hour service, so bear with me. Lord God, it's not about my sermon today. It's not about what I've written down on paper, Lord, it's about what you've written down. Would you just join me just in a moment, just, just a moment, just ask the Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me? Can we just make this practical? Can we just do something a little different today? No hype, no music, no nothing, just the silence of our souls before God. In desperate need for him to do what only he can do. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Would you cause us to embrace the silence, to overcome the awkward? Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. We're hungry to know you. We know that you're here. We know that you reside in us. But Lord, we hunger for your manifest presence. We hunger once again for those moments of, of feeling you with us. Your manifest presence. Affirming us. Convincing us that there is more to be pursued. Holy Spirit, speak to us. There must be more. There must be more.
Lord, we pursue that more. We pursue you, Lord. Stir up a holy discontent within our souls. Lord God, we would be new wine. That we'd be willing to be poured into new wineskins and new methods and new things. Stir up in our hearts a holy discontent. Reveal the brokenness of the world around us. Reveal the brokenness within our own souls. Stir up a holy discontent, Lord God, that we would be those that are hungry for the presence of a living God. That, Lord, we might be ordinary people doing extraordinary things for the glory of our King. Stir up a holy discontent, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. For some of you, that's the longest you've sat in silence in a long time. It's a good discipline. It's a good discipline to have, to sit in silence and to just hear with anticipation the voice of God. Because he's speaking to us. Well, we've been away for the last number of uh, weeks. Thank you so much for that time away. It was a bit of an experiment. Uh, we've never done three and a half weeks ever um, before. And we thought, you know what, we're going to give it a go. We're going to see how it goes. Um, let me tell you, we're exhausted. <laughs> we probably won't do it again. Don't, 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 but we probably won't do it again. I don't know, it was a little bit too much. It was a little bit too much. And, and what was interesting is we were reconnecting with family, as Lisa said. We, we reconnected with her family on the front end. And then the pastor's camp, a, a family camp for pastors in our district. And it uh, wasn't restful for Lisa. She was doing all the kids program for that. And then on the backside, we left pastor's camp early morning and drove straight to Calgary and spent time with my family. And I, I don't know if it's just me. But there's this sort of dynamic that happens when you get back with your family of origin. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll kind of click with this, or maybe it's just me. But I find when I get back with my family of origin, I mean my mom, my dad, my brother, my two sisters, that you kind of just fall back into the old pattern of family dynamic. Who, who's ever been there? It's like no matter how old you get, no matter how much, you know, you've grown and, and how much leadership and influence and, and things you've done in your life and successes and et cetera, et cetera, you get back with your family and all of a sudden you're that little kid again. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden someone's telling you to put a jacket on and you go, okay, okay. I've been making this decision for a long time, but okay, I'll put my jacket on. I want to suggest that in life and spirituality, we, we all struggle with kind of the same dynamic. We've all come to Jesus. Some of us, maybe you're exploring faith in Jesus. And, and there's this moment where he changes us and we become new. But we often allow just those old patterns 
those old ways of thinking, those old behaviors to just kind of take precedent again in our lives. And that's why what we're about to celebrate today following the service is so important. We're about to celebrate water baptism and all that that means. So we, we're going to today just turn to one of the best pictures that we have in Scripture that describes both the dynamics but also the deep why behind water baptism and our call to be baptized after giving our lives to Jesus. So if you, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Now, for those of you that are maybe guests with us or you're new with us, we put scriptures up on the screen. Uh, we're big believers that uh, we have access to Bible crazy. If you need one, we can give you one. Uh, you can get them on your phone. There's apps for that. And we feel that it's important that we're not lazy Christians, that we're stepping into something. And so we open the scriptures together as a community of faith here at Evangel. And we believe in underlining and marking and making notes. You can write in your Bible. It's okay. You're not going to get struck by lightning. So Matthew chapter 3, starting verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's a couple things we, we need to notice right off the bat here. Uh, John who is Jesus' older cousin, okay? So I want, you to, I want you to think this through, all right? I just talked about family dynamics. John is Jesus' older cousin, and yet here John is declaring, as Jesus comes to him to be baptized, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not even worthy. You need to be baptizing me. So there's this dynamic of family where the oldest, especially in the first century, always took precedent over the youngest. We see this moment where John the Baptist understood who Jesus was. He understood who Jesus was, and he's walking in humility in this moment. And what's so profound about that is John, unlike Jesus in this time, has a following. John has actually a significant following. He's disrupting the religious institutions of the day. People are, are looking to the words and the call of John to repentance through water baptism instead of seeking it in the religious institutions. He has a following. He's an influencer of the culture of that day. And yet as Jesus approaches him, John says, no, not I shouldn't be baptized. You need to be baptizing me. He understood who Jesus was. He understood who he was preparing the way for. In fact, uh, William Barclay, he writes this, and this is so interesting, and I'm paraphrasing, that up until this moment in history, Jews were not water baptized. A Jewish person would not be water baptized. The only people that would be water baptized were Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. Okay? 
So Gentiles converting to Judaism are the ones that would have been getting baptized. Jewish people were not baptized because they felt it was their God-given right to be the children of God. And so they would not be baptized. And yet we have this unprecedented moment where John comes on the scene in the first century and he begins to preach repentance. And we see this moment where people are leaving the religious institutions that God set up and God gave the parameters for, but we know man got in there over 1,500 years and began tweaking things and perverting things and changing things to the point where there was a spirit of religion over the institutional religious activities and not the Holy Spirit. And you don't believe me on that? See what Jesus did when he visited the temple in Jerusalem. He kind of went off. If you don't know the story, he went flipped tables and he whipped people <laughs> out of the temple courts. And so we have this moment in the first century where people are so disenfranchised with the institutional religion. And this man, John, comes on the scene and he's a sight to behold, long hair, long beard. He's eating honey and locusts and he's just wearing like animal skins out in the wilderness. Like this is, like let's just say he doesn't look all put together. This is not Joel Olstein, okay? He does not look all put together. And yet, this unprecedented movement is happening where the Jewish people are coming in repentance. And instead of going to the temple, instead of going to the Sanhedrin, instead of going to the religious institution, they're coming out into the wilderness to this Jordan River, which if you've ever been to the Jordan River, is not a beautiful river. <laughs> and he's preaching repentance, and we see this movement amongst the Jews of repenting and being baptized in water. And now enters Jesus into this moment, in this time, as John's preparing the way for Christ. Because re repentance always precedes belief and faith in Christ. And so we see this progression of faith beginning to unfold on the world stage. Market disruption. We, we, we hear a lot about market disruption today. And this is what was going on, you know. We, we hear about products and services that enter the marketplace and completely turn existing um, products or services on their head, right? You, you can think of a whole lot right now. Think of Uber. You can think of iTunes, right? The, the music industry, you know, you went from, from records, right, to A-Track. Who had A-Track in your car? And then we went to cassettes. We went to CDs. But they were all just better products of the same thing. They weren't disruptive. And then all of a sudden, Apple and Steve Jobs show up and give us iTunes. And completely disrupt everything that's going on. Nothing would be the same again. Music production, distribution, how consumers get their content. I was writing this sermon, and I was streaming music that I don't even own on my Bluetooth headphones off my computer while I'm writing this sermon. Completely changed the way music is distributed and consumed and used. 
the institution of John's day was completely being disrupted to the point where, where men of the Sanhedrin, leaders of the religious institutions were coming out to hear John. And John actually like lambasted them publicly in front of all the crowds. But they're out there trying to figure out how can we shut this movement down? How can we get people back to the institution? But they would never get them back to the temple and the institution because everything was about to change. Everything was about to change. God has never been interested in the institution. He's never been interested in the institution. And though we have to organize somehow, he's never been boxed in by the way that it's always been done. That's part of my discontent. I look at the church and I go, this is how it's always been done. There has to be something more. There has to be something different. Instead, in the first century, he sends a man named John to disrupt the normative religious practices of the day so a better way could be pointed out. As we witness water baptisms in a few moments, I want to call us to remember the fact that God has something so much greater than the normative religious practices of today. I'll be the first to admit, I'll be the very first to admit that oftentimes we come to these gatherings like this and we're just doing what's been done. And we're resting on the defaults of the church and the institution, quote and unquote. I'll be the first to admit, but there's gotta be something more. And that something more is only the presence in the spirit of God. Matthew writes, John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now the statement by Jesus has become a very sticky moment for theologians over the years because many, many, he says, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, so more liberal students of the Bible would say that this reveals that Jesus was broken in need of repentance. This statement. Right? Because he says we got to fulfill all righteousness. But, but of course, this view negates everything we believe about the perfect sacrifice that Jesus was on the cross. And so what is Jesus trying to say here? And there's two things to consider about Jesus' statement about fulfilling all righteousness. The first is this. He was not just a savior that lorded over, but rather a savior that came and identified with us in our brokenness. Jesus' act here had nothing to do with the sin in his life and everything to do with sin in ours. The brokenness in our souls. He shows us that our reality is brokenness and our way to the Father is through repentance and his finished work, Jesus' finished work. He identifies and he models this for us in the waters of baptism. But there's a second dynamic Jesus was being faithful to being obedient to the Father in heaven. Jesus shows us what it is to live a life submitted to God. Everything he did, he did because he was being submitted and obedient to the Father in heaven. In fact, there's places where he actually says, I will only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. 
He was submitted to the Father because he was showing us a better way. He was showing us that for us to look within and to be the best version of me doesn't work. At the end of the day, it leaves us broken and flatlined. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to model you a better way. I'm going to show you what it is to live a submitted life. And we don't like that word. Because we live in a highly individualistic society where it's all about me. I'm living my truth, my way, and nobody can tell me otherwise. And yet Jesus comes along, God himself, 100% God, 100% man. Every right to live his life his way. To live his truth because he literally is truth. And yet Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to live submitted to the Father. I'm going to live a life submitted to the Father. And so he shows us a better way in the waters of baptism. Because the Father leads him to this moment. And so he submits himself in obedience to the Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. In this, he submitted his life to the Father through his obedience in being water baptized. He did not require it for repentance or for saving. It was his act of submitting to the lordship of the Father. And this really, in water baptism, is our first step. You know, people ask me, when should I be water baptized? As soon as you can after you've given your life to Jesus. As soon as you can. Because really what water baptism is, it's your first next step in seeing Jesus not just as your savior, not, not just your ticket out of eternal damnation and all of that. Your first steps of water baptism are really this moment where you go, Lord, you're my savior, but I'm going to walk in obedience to your word, and you're also my Lord. You're also my Lord. You rule and reign over my life. Because I've tried doing it on my own. It's just not working out. And so we walk into the waters of baptism just as Jesus did, submitted in obedience to the call of Jesus to be baptized. In fact, Peter preaches the very first sermon of the church in the New Testament. And then the people ask him, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responds. What, what did he respond with? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repentance declares our need for a Savior. And baptism declares more than just being a new, a new in Christ, but our submission to Christ. So Jesus is baptized, and then, and then a very significant event takes place. We read it about in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This moment, it's, it's significant for many reasons, but, but there are two that I'd like to unpack quickly. But before we do this, I want you to consider this. Jesus was both 100% God, 100% man, simultaneously. So here's my question. Did he need the Father and the Spirit to affirm to him who he was? Did he need 
the Father to speak this over him to affirm who he was. Did Jesus need it? Come on, church. A little interaction here. It's not a trick question. Did Jesus need it, being God? No. No. Jesus is the most secure human being that ever walked this planet because he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was. So why do you think this moment happened? Because we needed to hear it. We needed to see this moment unfold. Because there's, this isn't just about Jesus, though it is. But this moment, as we unpack it, is about the deep work of Jesus in us and what the Father says over you. And we need to hear this. You need to know that the very Spirit of God dwells in you and he wants to come upon you. Right? The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And this, this is so important because a submitted life to Jesus requires a strength that you don't possess. It requires gifts that you just don't have. It requires a pathway and a journey that you just can't take. Like I said before, we've all tried walking this thing out and we fall on our faces every single time. And so in this moment, we see the Spirit fall upon Jesus declaring that there's, there's, a, there's a strengthening, there's an anointing, there's something that comes supernaturally upon us. And he walks with us in that process of making God Lord of our lives. Walking in new patterns and new ways of thinking and new ways of walking this thing out. The second thing is we're all hungry for words of affirmation. I know I am, especially, especially us men. Can I just say that? I'm going to generalize a little bit. So don't get too offended. I'm going to generalize a little bit. But men, we, we act all tough and we act like we got it all, but we're so desperate for words of affirmation. Women, you're desperate for words of affirmation. We have such a deep need. I mean, if... if, if fathers and mothers were great at words of affirmation and love, we wouldn't have counselors and therapists, right? I mean, we have such a deep need for these words that give life and build us up. And here we see the Father speak over the Son, Jesus, before he's done anything. Now, you got to think, Jesus hasn't done a thing yet. He hasn't done anything. We haven't seen him do a single miracle. We haven't seen him do a a, a single public discourse. We haven't seen him do anything. And yet in this moment, the father looks over Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He speaks truth about Jesus' identity. And too often we hear words of affirmation because of our works, because of what we do, because of our deeds, because of our accomplishments. But today, for those of you being baptized, know this, through Jesus' work and your acceptance of that work, the Father speaks these words over you as well. Before you have it all together, before you have your life figured out, before you understand the plans and purposes of God, before you do a single thing for him, the Father speaks over you because of the Son, and he says, Son, daughter, I am well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. He speaks words of affirmation over you. 
So today we're going to get in our cars. We're going to drive down as a community to the shingle mill. And so if you don't know where the shingle mill is, I'm sure you could follow the caravan that's about to leave here, and we'll get you there. Um, so Highway 101, you're going to cross Powell. And right when you cross the bridge over Powell, you're going to take that first right, right down to the shingle mill. And uh, just keep on driving to the back lot, and we're going to be right over there. But before we do that, I, I, I just believe that there's some that perhaps, you, perhaps you've known Christ for a little while. Perhaps you've known him for a long time. And you would say, you know what, I, I, I need to baptized today. So we're not going to do this right away. We've got about a half hour. We're going we're gonna to start things off at about 1130 down at the Shingle Mill Beach. And if that's you and you, you, you would say, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to take that next step of my faith journey. That next step of saying, you know what, I'm going to live a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And this is my next step. This is my declaration. We have a number of people being baptized today, and so we're excited to walk with them. But like I said, the only prerequisite to being water baptized is not having your life all figured out. It's not about having everything, you know, tight and walking in, in perfection. Being water baptized is simply about the work of Jesus in you and your acceptance of that work. And so what's, you know, Philip uh, talks to the eunuch. The eunuch gives his life to Jesus in, uh, in Acts. And then the eunuch asks, asks the question, what, what, what stops me from getting baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. There's some water, let's do it. And so if you want to be water baptized, run home, throw some trunks on, dark t-shirt, and we're going to go do that in the shingle mill. You good with that? So Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your work. We thank you, Lord God, that you have shown us a better way, that you model something better for us. Lord Jesus, we believe that you're here with us, we believe that you're in us, The Holy Spirit, you're doing something significant in our community of faith, that you're doing something significant in our community. Lord, would you raise us up to continue to be a blessing? And Lord, we just, we, we refrain the same words, Lord, there must be something more. There must be more. And so Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you show us as we pursue you, as we, as we pursue the presence of God in our own lives, in our families, and in our community of faith. Lord, we just speak prophetically. We speak prophetically this morning. There is something more. There is more. There is more. And you're not done, Lord God. You're not done with your church. You're not done with this community of Powell River. You're not done with this province. You're not done with this country. You're not done with this world. Lord, we just speak prophetically. We want to be a part of what you're doing, what you're shaping, what you're stirring in this world. We want to see what the Father's doing. And like Jesus, we want to step into it and submit ourselves to that life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.